Good morning, Mendocino County and beyond. You are tuned to Wild Oak Living here on KZYX and Z, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. This is Johanna Wild Oak, and I bring you this program every other Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. The program alternates with the Renewable Energy Hour. It's all about sustainable uh, living, working, and having fun in Mendocino County and beyond and building community. If you're a regular listener, you probably know that uh, I cover a wide range of topics. Sometimes I have guests who've written books. Sometimes I have guests who um, are involved with organizations in our area that are doing good or that are working on solutions to many challenges. And sometimes I offer information uh, from my own experience and also from from resources uh, that I have in the form of books or internets or, or previous interviews that I've done where I've, I've gathered information that I'd like to bring forward. And today is one of those in the latter category. Uh, I'm going to talk about topics that I've covered frequently in the past. Uh, and because it's that time of the year, uh, I would like to uh, revisit those topics. So today I'm going to be talking about rainwater harvesting and and I'll talk more about why in a moment. And then I'm going to be talking about wood heating. Uh, and then, uh, depending on how long those first two topics uh, take, I might spend a little bit of time also talking about putting up the bounty of the harvest bounty that we're experiencing usually during the September and October time frame. I know it's a little late for summer harvest, but there's there's still many things that, that are being harvested right now that, that we can put up to last us through the winter and the early part of next year until the summer, spring and summer gardens come in again. And then, uh, really importantly, and I'd like to uh, motivate you to stick around for that, I'm going to share something that I received this morning that really inspired me. It's um, it's uh, uh, some thoughts that uh, Claudia Wenning wrote. wrote. Claudia Wenning is the, uh, with is the um, uh, a therapist with quantum level health in Willits, and I'll tell you more about her when we do this piece, but just to tell you that she's been on the program before to talk about resilience, and and she's also been sort of my navigator for taking phone calls on that topic, and to, uh, she has written a really beautiful piece about some thoughts on resilience that I'm going to share with you, and then at that point, we're going to open up the phone lines and have you call in, hopefully, if you are inspired to do so, with your questions about any of those topics or with the, with your thoughts on, on resilience. Uh, if, you, if you have a burning question on any of the topics that I'm going to cover as I'm covering them, uh, feel free to call in. Uh, we're not going to, you know, chat around too much, but if you just happen to have a burning question and you can't stay around until the call-in part of the program, then please go ahead and call in, and, and, and I'll interrupt my presentation to take your phone call. So that's the program for today. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm really glad you are listening, and I'm really glad you are tuned to KZYX and Z, our wonderful community radio station. And before I go on, I just want to remind you, we are in our silent drive right now, and what that means is we are hoping to get uh, as many people as possible to step up and either renew your support or be a first-time supporter of this community-funded and community-supported radio station, KZYX and Z, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. We've got exciting news. Um, we, uh, um, you've probably, you've probably heard that uh, we are working on 
moving the station to the headquarters in to have a new headquarters in Ukiah uh, uh, for, from where it's currently is in Anderson Valley. There'll still be a studio in Anderson Valley, and there'll still be studios there around the county. But this will make uh, KZYX and Z so much more accessible, and it's going to be a big lift. So we're going to need a lot of support from everyone and if you are listening uh, and if you have been listening and if you're inspired to support KZYX and Z you can just step up during this silent drive right now because any contributions that we get during the silent drive sh uh, potentially shortens the on-air pledge drive so although I also enjoy the on-air pledge drive I have to say but if you want to donate now, that would be really great, and, and we would really appreciate it. Just go to our website, kzyx.org, and click on the Donate button, and uh, it, and there'll be a, a dialogue that walks you through the process. It's quick and simple, kzyx.org. Or call the station at 895-2324, 895-2324. Thanks so much for everything that you do to support this wonderful radio station that we're all a part of. I am one of, uh, I think, about 100 volunteers who volunteer to do this program, to do their programs. We have public affairs programmers, we have music programmers, um, and uh, everybody except the very few people who are on staff at the station does this as a volunteer. Uh, and we are happy to do it, and we're honored to do it, and we're to to have the airways to bring you information or to bring you entertainment. And I think this is worth supporting. Um, I've been doing this. <laughs> I realized the other day I've been doing this now for more than twenty years, and uh, every program is still as exciting as the first program that I did. And I hope I hope the information that you get from Wild Oak Living is you consider it valuable and you consider it perhaps uh, one of the reasons why you would support KZYX and Z by going to kzyx.org and donating. Thank you again. All right, so one of the frequent guests I've had in the past, and I'm going to revisit some of his thoughts now, is Brad Lancaster, who has written two books about rainwater harvesting, and you can learn more about his books. Uh, and these are classics in the rainwater harvesting uh, area harvestingrainwater.com brad lancaster l-a-n-c-a-s-t-e-r uh, and he has lots of information on his website that you can uh, get for free or, or if you want to have more and lots of handouts as well but and if you want sort of an, a comprehensive coverage of the topic then he's his two books uh, are available via the via his website he is one of the innovators uh, in this area of rainwater harvesting. And so why do I want to talk about rainwater harvesting now in October when we've still barely had any rain and when we're still in the fire season and most of us are thinking more about that than about rainwater? Well, the reason I want to talk about it today is because uh, rainwater harvesting, it uh, if you're, you know, is 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 a topic that is really, really relevant, relevant anytime, but especially during a drought, because um, whatever water we do get in the winter is water that we will need, you know, in the next spring and next summer and early fall until we get more water. We, we are sort of in this area where we have this cyclical rainfall. You know, we if we're lucky, we get water from, let's say, late October until April or so. 
and um, and then the rest of the year is basically dry. So it makes sense to um, to look at rainwater harvesting uh, to to restore it in some way while it's while it's coming down in the winter, so that it's available during the dry period. And the drier it is, and the more we are in a drought, the more these principles make sense. However, you can't. In it, it, it's if if you wait until winter with the rains coming down, think about what you're going to do to harvest the rainwater. It might be a little late. Um, it's these things take a little bit of planning and a little bit of preparation, and depending on what you're planning to do, also take a, a little bit of funds. Might even take a lot of funds, depending on the scale of your project. And so it's it's a good idea to think about it in advance so that you are prepared and ready to harvest the rainwater as soon as it starts coming down. And so that's why I wanted to share uh, and revisit these um, principles of successful rainwater harvesting that Brad Lancaster uh, is offering. And as I said, you can visit, you can um, find those also on harvestingrainwater.com. Um, these are eight principles that he's developed that hopefully will get you thinking about the topic. And then, you know, you can decide what could work for you and maybe read up about it more and then decide how you want to go about doing that. So the first principle is begin with long and thoughtful observation. Use all your senses to see where the water and the sediment that it carries flows and how. What is working, what is not. Build on what works. Consider how you might help fix what is not working. Uh, and then the second principle is start at the top because that's the high point of your watershed and work your way down. Water travels downhill, so collect water at your high points for more immediate infiltration and easy gravity-fed distribution. Start at the top where it is easier as there is less volume and velocity of water. And uh, I, I should I should mention before we go on that uh, harvesting rainwater comes, and this is something that he talks about at length in his book, but I should just interject it here. Uh, it comes in many forms. Um, you could harvest rainwater by storing it into the ground. Uh, the, the people at the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center say, slow it, spread it, sink it, because the water that you can store in the ground, you know, aquifers and feeds spring and is a form of rainwater harvesting. Um, there's also other forms of rainwater harvesting. So for example, you know, your roof run, uh, your roof runoff can go into a tank or can go into a lined pond. Uh, there are some considerations there um, that you have to pay attention to as far as, uh, you know, permitting and things like that. So that's something that I'm, I'm not going to cover here in, in great detail. But it's very, it's very simple to get to take the water that comes, you know, that comes down on the roof. And, and um, instead of having it run out onto the ground, it can run, you know, into some kind of water harvesting containment. There are some other factors to consider here. Uh, not, not all roof materials are suitable for rainwater harvesting, especially if you're going to use it to irrigate food crops. Um, some metal roofs are probably more desirable than asphalt roofs. So some things to think about there as well. So that's all of that is discussed in, in the books and, and is, is a huge topic that requires more time than I, than I have here. My, my goal today is just to get you thinking about rainwater harvesting 
and um, and then you know you can jump off into whatever other areas that that you think might be of most interest to you by visiting harvestingrainwater.com and reading some of the information that's there. There's other forms of rainwater of water harvesting as well. So street runoff can be harvested, gray water can be harvested, condensate can be harvested. Um, so. There's, there's all kinds of methods, and I'm, my goal today is just to make you aware of it and to motivate you to check out more information and see which of these can possibly work in your environment. So principle number three of successful rainwater harvesting by Brad Lancaster is work at the human scale so you can build and repair everything. Many small strategies are far more effective than one big one when you're trying to infiltrate water into the soil. That doesn't necessarily apply if you're planning to harvest uh, rainwater and store it in some containment like a, like a rainwater reservoir or tanks or something like that. that in that case, uh, one, you know, one strategy in one location might be more effective than trying to spread it around, but it depends on your setup. You know, if you have a lot of buildings with suitable roofs spread out over your land, then having a tank next to each of those buildings might make sense. And maybe connecting those tanks in some way so that you can uh, access them. Okay, principle number four, slow spread and infiltrate the flow of water. I've talked about that before. Rather than having water run erosively off the land's surface, encourage it to stick around, hang out, and infiltrate into the soil. Slow it, spread it, sink it. And if you want more information about that, there's, there's uh, uh, good information at the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center. Um, I don't have their website handy, but if you Google that term, I'm sure you'll find it. They have they are practiced they have been practicing this for decades uh, in their uh, place near Sebastopol. Always plan number five principle number five. Always plan an overflow route and manage that overflow as a resource. Always have an overflow route for the water in times of extra heavy rains and where possible, use the overflow as a resource. So, for example, if you have a pond and that pond is full. And then, you know, hopefully have an overflow on that pond so that it doesn't blow out. And, um, you know, then what happens with the overflow? So that's something to think about. You know, do you want to capture that? Do you want to direct it to some area areas in your garden? Um, do you want to fill a tank with it or some other some other rainwater containment? So something to think about before that pond get, hopefully gets full this winter. Number six, rainwater harvesting principle number six, maximize living and organic ground cover. Create a living sponge so that the harvested water is used to grow more resources where, while the soil's ability to infiltrate and hold water steadily improves. This makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, if um, living and organic ground cover, uh, first of all, it, it stabilizes the soil so that if water runs across the soil, it's not going to get washed away. And also, it helps infiltrate water into the ground and, and hold it there and, of course, then be available. So if that living in organic ground counter cover, for example, is an orchard or a berry orchard or some other food crop producing area, um, you know, directing that, especially some of the late winter and early spring rains, directing those into that area 
you know, is, is, or making sure that it stays in that area when it comes down the water, it can, can make a lot of uh, additional groundwater or, or moisture in the ground available for those crops to be sustained for the first couple of months of the growing season, like, you know, May, June, early July, that kind of thing. If that water is in the ground, in the soil, it's accessible to whatever you plant in that area. And it, that reduces the amount of irrigation that you might need to do. Number seven, maximize beneficial relationships and efficiencies by stacking functions. Get your water harvesting strategies to do more than hold water. So for example, berms can double as high and dry raised paths. Plantings can be placed to cool buildings in summer. Vegetation can be selected to provide food. And then finally, number eight uh, of the rainwater harvesting principles, continually reassess your systems, the feedback loop. Observe how your work affects the site, beginning again with the first principle. And that first principle was begin with long and thoughtful observation. So observation is an ongoing principle here. Make any needed changes using the principles to guide you. These principles are the core of successful water harvesting. They apply equally to the conceptualization, design, and implementation of all water harvesting landscapes. And Brad Lancaster goes on to say, you must integrate all principles, not just your favorites, to realize a site's full potential. Used together, these principles greatly enhance success, dramatically reduce mistakes, and enable you to adapt and integrate a range of strategies that meet site needs. While the principles remain constant, the strategies you use to achieve them will vary with each unique site. So for more information, as I said before, uh, you can check out the, uh, the two books that Brad Lancaster has uh, published on the topic of rainwater harvesting. The, the full title of the books are Rainwater Harvesting for Drylands and Beyond. And there is a volume one and a volume two. And if you are not yet inspired by what you've heard so far to, to think about rainwater harvesting on your land, by the way, even on a city lot, uh, you don't have to have a huge piece of, of, of property. You can do a lot of rainwater harvesting even on a city lot from your roofs, for example, uh, and spread it in your garden and, and, and you know create all kinds of wonderful uh, lush landscapes that are fully supported by rainwater and not ir not irrigated uh, and he has lots of stories in those in those two books so rainwater harvesting for drylands and beyond volume one and volume two and the website again is harvestingrainwater.com and the author is brad lancaster all right you are listening to wild duck living this is Johanna Wildock. I bring you this program every other Thursday from 9 until 10 a.m. And it's all about sustainable living. And today we are covering several topics. We've just finished covering rainwater harvesting. And now I want to talk a bit about uh, wood heating. And of course, that is probably on a lot of people's minds right now. Uh, if you haven't gotten your firewood ready, it's high time. Uh, I'm talking to myself on that one as well. I've started on it, but I'm not finished on it yet, with it yet. And so I just wanted to offer a few thoughts about about wood heating. Um, this is actually um, a bigger topic than I than I 
have time to completely cover today, but uh, I wanted to at least um, put out a few thoughts and um, and talk about you know just some just some uh, sort of practical things. Uh, I had uh, thought about also covering how sustainable wood heat is and the environmental uh, and benefits of wood heating, but that's a larger discussion. So I'm actually not going to go into it, it too much today. Uh, I'm going to talk primarily about um, just sort of the practical aspects of wood heating on the assumption that you already have a wood stove or you've decided that you're going to um, have a wood stove this um, this year and um, and install it and obviously you know there are all kinds of considerations there there's there's um, it, it's always really a good idea to work with somebody who is a professional and who can can do everything safely. One of the considerations uh, that uh, a lot of people don't think about, especially if you have a modern, fairly airtight house and, and you heat with wood, is this whole topic. There's actually two topics. One is the, the topic of air exchange, um, because a wood stove does use um, air to burn, obviously. And that air can come either from the outside or from the inside. So we've we've had this actually we've had this discussion on on the show before when I covered wood heating. One of the things to think about is if you have um, uh, an airtight house and you have a wood burning stove, you might want to consider having that wood stove supplied with outside air rather than air from inside your house because the wood stove's going to pull and and you, you don't have any, a lot of leaks uh, in, in your walls or around your windows and doors. And so, um, and then especially if you do things like if you have a kitchen range hood and you run the range hood that that further removes air from the house, so you, you, might, you might end up with an issue there. And okay, we do have a call. All right, let's go ahead and take the call. Hello, caller. You're live on Wildlife Living. Hi there. Um, I tried to call in as quick as I could. I know you've moved on to wood stoves, um, but I had a, um, a comment about uh, rainwater harvesting. And um, my primary um, kind of question mark about it is storage um, and how to do that a large amount affordably because tanks are very expensive. Um, and yes. I, I think you also talked about ponds, but I think on your show a couple of weeks ago, um, we learned that um, the county is pretty restrictive with permitting for ponds. So is rainwater allowable with the county and the state? Or um, So, yeah, that's my question, is if anyone has creative ideas about storage. I even thought about running down to um, Walmart and buying the biggest swimming pool they have because it's like 600 bucks for about 5,000 gallons. So any well, comments do about that? that? Some and uh, just, I'll take yeah. my answer off the air. Okay. Yeah, some people do that, actually. Some people use above-ground uh, swimming pools as water storage. Um, that's a possibility. There are even some countries where, where people have set up, like I think in Australia I've read that some people have set up their basements to become water storage reservoirs. That would require, that would be quite an engineering feat, I would think. Um, the simplest, the simplest uh, um, 
of course, our tanks, but tanks are expensive, although there there's some progress there as well. Um, there are now some tanks coming out, some metal tanks coming out of uh, Australia that uh, that are put together on site. And um, they still cost a lot of money, but you know they might they might be more within reach than putting up a whole bunch of plastic tanks. Um, um, rainwater catchment, you know, a, a pond lined with a pond liner, um, is also also costs money, but is less expensive than than using um, tanks. And yeah, the the whole question of permitting comes into the uh, uh, comes into the picture here. There's something called a pond exemption that you can get from the county. Um, or at least that's my understanding, but you'd have to check with them because these things change all the time um, um, that you can apply for at least. And that is for ponds that are less than a certain size. And I don't have the exact uh, size information at my fingertips right now, but that is something that I'm sure you can find on the county website or you can find out by, by calling um, that's probably the least expensive solution is to have a a, 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 a pond lined with um, a pond liner, and there are places in the county that, where you can go for more information about pond liners. Um, and then there's also water bladders that sit on the ground that can get pretty big. You know, I, I've heard of some as as big as twenty thousand gallons. Um, the only risk with bladders, of course, is they sit on the ground and they can develop leaks and they can be damaged. And if that happens, you lose all the water. Whereas if you have, you know, a hole in the ground with a pond liner, um, that might be less of a risk, although it's also not completely risk-free. Uh, pigs and, and deer uh, sometimes will, will go into those lined ponds and depending on how you've constructed them and how easy it is for deer and pigs to get back out of there, they can kick holes into your pond liner on their way out. So there's all kinds of questions to consider here. I'm not offering necessarily all the answers. I'm just sort of stimulating thoughts about it um, because, you know, we do have this ongoing drought challenge. And um, there's also the topic of safety, you know, fencing and all of those things. Um, so these are all things that you need to think about. Um, I'm just putting out um, some some thoughts for you to think about in terms of what could be done but whether that works in your environment and whether you can do so safely where you are that's something that you would have to take up with with uh, with experts all right let's go back to wood heating where was I okay so I was talking about if you have a, a tight uh, an airtight house by the way, this since is the half hour mark, let me just take a moment to tell you you're listening to Wild Oak Living. I'm Johanna Wildock, and today we're talking about rainwater harvesting, wood heating, and in a in a few minutes we're going to be hearing a wonderful piece about resilience that Claudia Venning wrote and put out into the world as her gift this morning. And I'm going to share it with you because I'm so inspired. I was so inspired after I read it. That's going to be in a few minutes. So let me just offer a few more thoughts about wood heating. If you have this air house you know you might want to consider looking into if you don't if you don't already uh, taking the uh, supplying the air that your wood stove needs from the outside and many wood stoves are already set up for that they have an opening that you can connect to a uh, a pipe that can go through the wall and then you take in the air from the outside if you don't have a an airtight house if your cabin or house is fairly drafty 
you know, and it's not well insulated and it's not, uh, more importantly, it's not well sealed around windows and doors or you have cracks and things where the air comes in. You might notice huge, and you're currently using uh, inside air for your wood stove, you might notice a huge improvement um, by uh, switching to taking uh, outside air for the wood stove because instead of you know, as as the wood stove is burning, it pulls in air, and that air's got to come from some from some place. So inside your house, it's going to pull it in through all the cracks around your windows and doors, and wherever else it can pull it in. You know, dryer vents, what, what, wherever there's a crack that's not sealed, it's going to pull in air. And of course, in the winter, that air it's going to pull in is going to be cold, and so um, it's your wood stove is going to be less efficient than if you pulled in outside air. That is my experience, my personal experience, and that is also the experience of, of many people that I've that I've talked to. Again, you know, check with a professional to see how that would work in your environment. And then the other thought, uh, just to sort of close this off, um, the, the topic is, is um, firewood. Firewood, for those of us who are burning wood, you know, is is pretty much a constant topic because we, in, in the winter, we burn it and, and the rest of the year we think about how to get ready. You know, the easiest thing, obviously, for many people is they just call up somebody and say, send me some firewood. Um, but if you have a wood lot or if you have trees on your property that, that do fall down and, and, you know, and they get cut into firewood, Pretty much if you have, you know, a property as of a certain size that has trees on it, every year something's going to come down probably. At least that's my experience, you know, a, a large limb or a whole tree. Uh, during this drought winter last year, um, I had several oaks, sadly, succumb. You know, they were very old and just sort of struggling to hang on. I think not having enough rain last winter, finally, they couldn't hold on anymore. And so... You know, you have all of this wood, uh, and um, as as I mentioned earlier, I don't want to get into the whole sustainability issue, but um, it it definitely makes sense. You know, to if you have wood on your lot, to have wood heat and and to burn that heat. Obviously, you know, use an EPA certified stove that's as efficient as possible, and most importantly, make sure that the wood that you burn is dry. Uh, the wood, the kind of wood and is seasoned and and that means at the very at a minimum it should have been cut up and split and stacked um early this year uh, ideally it was cut and and uh, at least cut last year and stacked and split uh early this year because um you know you can get wood you can allow wood to get too old but you have it has to have a certain seasoning and which means it has to have dried a certain amount of time and before it uh, it's safe to burn it and before it will actually put out the energy that it that it has stored if you try to burn wet wood it's not going to burn very well it's going to produce a lot of smoke and a lot of soot in your chimney and I'll talk about soot in a moment and it's not going to give you the heat that, that you want, you know. So well-seasoned wood is really important. We've got, uh, in terms of the type of wood, um, and that means storing it also to where it's not gonna get rained on in the winter. You know, I, I usually, um, as soon as the fire season is over, I bring my wood in onto a covered firewood porch that's just off 
you know, off where where my wood stove is inside, so it's 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 dry and um, but it's still outside, and then I just bring it in as needed. We have a, a variety of firewood in our area, local firewood, and it's it's always better to to use local firewood because you don't want to bring in firewood, you know, from the east coast or from some from some other area because doing that risks importing all kinds of pathogens. Um, that uh, that might come riding in on that firewood. So local firewood is best. We have uh, a variety of softwoods and hardwoods. Hardwoods produce a hotter fire, and hardwoods, for example, is oak, maroon, uh, manzanita, and then softwoods would be your fir trees. You know, um, fire. If you have a small cabin and and uh, it, it easily overheats, then softwoods might be a better choice because they don't burn quite as hot. But if you you know you need uh, if you have a large space and you need a hot fire, and especially if you need a fire that lasts all all night, then hardwoods uh, might be the better way to go. And just one more one last word about soot before I get into the resilience piece. Um, burning wet wood or burning um, uh, running your wood stove in a way that doesn't efficiently efficiently and burn wood uh, at a high temperature can cause all kinds of uh, creosote or soot deposits in your chimney. In any case, even if you do everything right, you're still going to get some deposits on the inside of your chimney. And so it's really, really important to have a professional chimney sweep come and clean your chimney. Uh, at least uh, at once at the beginning of the fire season, depending on how long your firewood fire season is, maybe even you know halfway through or something like that, um, because a, a dirty chimney with deposits on the inside, and then you burn a hot fire, and then all of a sudden the whole chimney catches on fire on the inside, and it burns so hot that it can actually set your house on fire, and that does happen. So really important. And also some homeowners insurance policies you might want to check. They require that you have your chimney cleaned a certain number of times every year. All right. So that's wood heating. Uh, there's a website, by the way, that you can check out. It has lots of really, really interesting wood heating tips and stories and things. And it's called woodheat.org, woodheat, all one word, dot org. And they have tips and tricks and and uh, all kinds of information for you to check out more. All right, let me let you know that you are listening to Wild Oak Living here on Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. This is the Johanna Wild Oak, and I come to you every other Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. And thanks for tuning in, and thanks for staying tuned. I would like to um, switch gears now a little bit from the uh, from the practical, although... What I'm going to talk about now is also very practical, but you know, in just a, a, a slightly in a slightly different vein. Um, you might remember a couple of months ago, I had Claudia Wenning on, and we did a program about resilience, about and how we're all dealing with this, the ongoing challenges of the pandemic, and uh, and she was she was with us, and we talked about um, how. It's how we can help each other, how we can support each other as a community uh, to to deal with challenges, to keep ourselves healthy, to keep ourselves sane, to keep ourselves connected with the community. And um, 
at that time, I decided that uh, I'm going to every once in a while sort of sprinkle in programs about resilience and about community supporting community. And uh, today I'm going to do that. Normally what I would do is I would have somebody, a guest with me, a navigator, as I would call it, um, somebody like Claudia or uh, other wonderful people in our community who, who help us um, in, in many ways stay healthy and stay resilient. Um, today I'm going to do it in, because Claudia can't be with us this morning, and I just want to share this because it's so topical. So, so she has uh, allowed me to share this with you. Again, Claudia Wenning, Quantum Level Health in Willits, uh, ClaudiaWenning.com. Her last name is spelled W-E-N-N-I-N-G. And I'm going to share this with you. And after I'm done sharing it, I'm going to open the phone lines and we can talk about this or about any of the other topics that I've covered today. So, so here goes. Uh, this is Claudia talking now. Dear friends, resilience is still one of the key words how to stay in balance. And very soon, I will be able to share the video of the resilience and wellness event. It's currently in the final editing stages. So for now, she's offering these thoughts. One way to move forward is to actively, and by the way, you've, you've heard about this resilience and wellness event. This was, uh, we talked about, about this on a previous program, and I had several guests who presented at this event. It was planned to be in Willits uh, as an in-person event, and then they changed it to a Zoom event. And as soon as the video is available, I'm going to announce it on the program so that if you miss the actual live Zoom call, um, you can still get the benefit of all this uh, great information that was shared at that event. Okay, so one way to move forward is to actively determined, yet with an open mind, engage in change. If we're not quite content where we are, if we don't see ourselves in that place of balance that supports us to thrive. If nothing else calls us, we can certainly count the blessings around us. The little things, oh, how they can and do change our lives forever. I could talk about this daily. Just look up at the autumn sky and marvel. Our world of interaction, it seems, has become smaller in parts. Even more so, this can be a reason to look again, as I often say, and reconnect with all around us in a different way. Here's an idea. For a day, even just for an hour, approach everyone in your close social or family circle as if you are seeing the child within them. Undoubtedly, we all were little people once, children of innocence. Let's see if we can find a glimpse of that. Intriguing? I'd say so. Imagination is needed. Well, for sure, at times quite a bit. What if that, though, could teach us volumes about humanity? And what if we start the day by looking into the mirror and greeting the child within us? Hello there, it's been a while. What do you see there? Is it time to reconnect? What if we can also connect with something we might have wanted to do when we were younger, but it got neglected in the business of daily life? Too many obligations, commitments, and distractions. What if there was a genuine jest for learning and exploring still alive within us? For something different, new, exciting, elevating, empowering, caring, meaningful, transformational, 
simply wonderful. What if these days of not being in social gatherings as often as before, what if we can find the time to nurture those dreams? Is there something you once wanted to learn? Play the flute, sing, tap dance, or juggle? Maybe discover the best answer to clean the oceans and restore the forests. How to finally, finally feed every human being on this planet? How to become an animal or tree whisperer? How to learn new ways to show up for ourselves and affect each other? Oh, I'm sorry. How to learn new ways to show up for ourselves and each other? Our creativity and sensibility today is the foundation for a better tomorrow. What would you give what would give you a sense of fulfillment? Can it be done now? Alone with family, with the kids, however it feels best. Every day offers a new blank canvas for our creativity. Yes, it might look really small at times and appear even tiny. Nevertheless, we can keep looking for, for it with childlike enthusiasm and that precious sense of wonder, open to see new perspectives. As I said earlier, the little things in life can change life forever. May you rediscover the innate freedom and power of shaping the course of evolution as any individual for the good of all and rejoice in living a purposeful life. With sincerity, Claudia Wenning. This was what I've just shared with you was written by Claudia Wenning and she sent it out this morning. And again, you can find out more at ClaudiaWenning.com. That's spelled C-L-A-U-D-I-A. W-E-N-N-I-N-G dot com. Thank you so much, Claudia, for putting this out into the world. And thank you so much for letting me share it with our listeners. All right, that's the end of me talking, hopefully, for today. I would love to hear from you now, dear listeners. Uh, what are your thoughts? Do you have some thoughts on what I've just read uh, about Claudia's piece on resilience. Do you have some thoughts or questions about wood heating or about rainwater harvesting? Give us a call. Or if you have any other inspiring thing that you want to share, give us a call right now. Our phone number to reach us at the studio is 895-2448. That's 707-895-2448. Uh, join the conversation, uh, share something with us that in has inspired you or that keeps you going or talk, you know, something you've learned about wood heating or rainwater harvesting or questions, uh, anything that you'd like to share. Give us a call right now at 707-895-2448. We've got another oh yeah, 12 minutes or so to have a conversation. And until we get calls... Um, I think maybe I'll... T oh, we do have a call. Great. All right. Hello, caller. You're live on Wild Lake Living. Hi. Good morning, and thank you so very much for being there, Johanna. I'm going to turn off my radio here. Um, I would like to, to uh, ask for, for some help. I have a friend whom I love who's Is in your jail, and I have to go to court and be no. mandated. And I don't want to testify because this friend is in need of help, but... Um, jail's not the answer, and I'm not sure how to go about 
accessing, we've got all this money that's being set aside to build a new jail for mental health people for 12 beds. And I'm just thinking people need jobs, people need understanding the child within. I remember, you know, when these, when we're all that, we, we all have that little three-year-old and that 10-year-old and that 20-year, you know, all, all of us have a child. I call it the three-year-old child that I dearly love. And I think it's so precious that you should read something like that because we need that awakening, you know, to the, to the innocence and the purity and the hope that we can be remembered as children, you know, because uh, the world is definitely in, in, in a very a, a hard, hard place to remember. And we are at the crossroads because the old California with no fences, don't fence me in, is changing. And the modern world, I don't have a television. I don't have a computer. I'm a Woodstow woman. My mom lived in Casper. A town of a hundred, you know, no, no streetlights and sidewalks, no um, markets. You know, we walked. We just walked. We walked everywhere. I held hands with the kids. We walked down to the beach, and we visited with the neighbors. If there was a problem, we talked and we visited. And this is a this is a rural village. This is a rural town, a rural rural county. And we love it. We moved here because of the beauty, because of the no sidewalks and no streetlights. And we're being invaded. I live in Willits now. I lived in Lakeville for 45 years. And I'm being torn because I don't want to see sidewalks. I don't want to see pavement and asphalt and the destruction of our rural lifestyle. And I want to know what can we do to create jobs for people. Gardening is an alternative to pavement. You know, um, Gnome Burl, I, I made up the name Gnome Burl. A burl is like a, a table. And a, good neighbors organize for more employment and better understanding through a rural library. I'd like to see books for free in communities and open gardens. I'm a dreamer. And my daughter keeps saying, you live in the world the way you want it to be, Mom. I love you for that. And I love all of us that are trying to make the dream alive, keep it alive, and keep it well. And I'm going to get off now, but I would appreciate some help with people in the community. How can we help our friends that are in troubled places, whether it's in jail or, you know, on the streets or in the neighborhood, hungry, you know, and alone? How do we create environments where, you know, the money should not be going for more jails, we don't need more incarceration. We need more understanding. So anyway, thank you for having an opportunity and for always coming in, John. I love you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Randy, for that wonderful, sweet call. Yeah, Randy is somebody who cares a lot about our community, as, as do so many of us. And uh, there are definitely a lot of things to think about and a lot of challenges and, yeah, helping each other and the whole topic of mental health. I mean, that's one of the reasons, you know, I, I know that offering thoughts on resilience and helping each other is is uh, a, a small thing in terms of, you know, some of the challenges that some of us are dealing with in terms of mental health and physical health and economic health. Uh, those, are, those are all very big challenges. And I'm just hoping that, you know, if we inspire each other to each do a small part, it 
you know, no, no single one of us has to feel like we have to save the entire world. You know, it's um, that's too overwhelming and that's too big. Um, and uh, it's you know it's it's going to feel like like you know like Sisyphus carrying that rock up the hill and it's just going to keep rolling down again. But picking a small thing, you know, like um, maybe helping a neighbor, helping a child, maybe picking some one issue in your community that you would like to get together with others on that you would like to address. You know, or picking one issue that you're going to decide to raise awareness about in your circle of friends, or, or in the in the world at large, or maybe even you know just sitting quietly every morning for ten or twenty minutes and meditating and taking care of yourself and breathing three deep breaths whenever you feel stressed out. I've noticed the other day I've learned a breathing technique whereby you, you hold your right nostril closed and you breathe for about five breaths or so, or however many are comfortable, less, fewer if, it, if it's not comfortable. Um, you know, so you have, to, you have to sort of carefully try this out yourself. But I found that if I hold my right nostril closed gently and then breathe through my left nostril for a few breaths, just deep breathing through my left nostril, apparently it, this calms the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is something that uh, regulates um, heart rate and the parasympathetic nervous system and it can really calm you down. I find, I find that really helpful before I go to sleep to turn off the chattering voices in my head and to allow me to go to drift off to sleep when there's all these things that feel like they need to be addressed just as I'm trying to go to sleep. So there's all kinds of breathing techniques that you can try that, that help feel calm. Um, we've got a couple more minutes, maybe a, uh, one or two more calls that we could take. If you feel inspired to connect with us, give us a call, 707-895-2448, 707-895-2448. Um, I was talking about wood heating before, and uh, one of the things that uh, I didn't mention, uh, and of course, it, this is maybe not the right time of year, but as far as um, st uh, stacking and uh, your your wood and putting it in a place where it will stay, where it will dry and stay dried. Um, oops, there is a sound that sounded kind of weird, but I just want to make sure that we don't have a call. I'm on Zoom, so I have to connect with Eddie in the studio, but it looks like we don't have calls, right? Okay. 707-895-2448. We've got time for one or two more calls if you'd like to connect. But otherwise, I'll talk about stacking and drying and keeping wood wood, wood dry. Um, it's it's a good idea to stack it in an, an open area that's exposed to sun and wind for the summer um, because uh, green wood will not season properly in, in, a, in a woodshed or in a deep shade unless the woodshed is, is itself is in the sun and is, and is well ventilated. Of course, that, that would work as well. I've, I've seen people build woodsheds that are, on, um, that are off the ground and that are well ventilated and, and the wood in there dries just fine. Uh, otherwise, also stacking it on rails that keeps it off the ground. I'm going to make sure that I see if we have calls. Um, 
and um, because that for two reasons, one, it's it dries better if there if the air can get under the stock of wood, but also it helps keep uh, bugs and other things from crawling into your firewood. And um, some people recommend uh, covering just the top of firewood stacks. I think that's a good idea for um, for you know, like if you stack your wood earlier in the summer uh, and then for for drying it for the rest of the year, I mean, for the rest of the summer until the early fall. Um, I found that uh, once the wood is dry and I'm ready to burn it for the winter, like in about October or so before the first rains, I like to cover my entire my entire wood stack. That's That's not completely orthodox in terms of, you know, some people think that as long as the top is covered, uh, even if it rains, the, the rest of the wood is not going to get very wet. And, and even if it does, it will dry out between rains. So that's just two different schools of thought. But um, I found I do better if I if I cover my firewood once the once the wood heating season starts and once the wood is dry. And the I talked before about how I store my firewood close to the house, but not inside the house, um, because you know there can be bugs and critters in your firewood, and you don't necessarily want those inside the house. But I don't move the firewood close to the house until the fire season is over. So, and this is by the way another thing to talk about. Um, since we don't, do we have calls? No. Uh, since we don't have calls, um, there is this whole question about when can you start uh, making a fire in your wood stove? Because um, you know you should, of course, have a spark screen on your ch- on the top of your chimney. Those are required. I believe an opening size that's required is half an inch, unless that has changed since the last time I checked. But you definitely want to have a spark screen on top of your chimney, because you know if you, especially if you burn paper or light like light pieces of spark carrying uh, hot things can fly out the top of your chimney, can land on some dry vegetation or some dry leaves near your house and start a fire. That is possible. That's why we need spark screens on top of our chimneys. Um, And so there's, again, this discussion, you know, as long as you have a spark screen and it's still, even if it's still dry outside and and the rains haven't started yet, can you make a fire? I know that's especially a topic on the coast because, you know, it gets colder earlier there. Um, And I'm always torn. I wait until the first rains, until the vegetation outside is wet. And I just, you know, put on thick sweaters and an extra cover on my bed until until that happens. But it can be quite late sometime. It can be like November, you know, and it it gets cold. And so some people say as long as you have a spark screen, you can can have a fire in your wood stove, even if it's still dry outside. So that's a decision I think every person has to make for themselves. All right. Well, we are very close to the end of the hour. I thank you again for listening. This is Johanna Wildog. You've been listening to Wildog Living here on KZYX and Z, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. So I'm just going to say thanks for listening and tune in again two weeks from now to for Wild Oak Living. And next week in this time slot is the, uh, is the Cannabis Hour. Thank you again. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.